Welcome to Warriors Offcourt, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Bram Hillsman, host of the Warriors Huddle podcast. The Last Dance documentary has understandably received a lot of attention in recent weeks, so Bram came on to settle the debate. Could the best team from those Michael Jordan-led Bulls beat the best team of the dynastic Warriors? Bram, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, it feels like it's been forever. I know it's only been a week or so. Um, how you been? Are you staying sane out there? <sighs> sane is a relative term, Connor. And let me first thank you for having me on, man. It's nice just talking to somebody who is not my wife and child, which is, brings me right back to the whole sanity thing. I, I think I'm okay. We haven't pulled knives on each other yet, so... Everything's going well there, and to give you a sense of how excited I am just to have, like, a new venue, and I hope this doesn't lead to me getting uh, arrested, but I work in the city, and right now, I'm literally in my office by myself because I needed just a new venue, man. So, yes, thank you, and it is great to be with you. Yeah, I just announced to my my roommate uh, a few minutes ago, I think I'm going to go outside today, and he was like, wow, (laughs) super vicious of you. I was like, I know. (laughs) <laughs> dude what a surreal time it, this this entire thing is just so strange but it is what it is i guess man it is and uh you know our job is to still find content for our listeners and our readers out there and uh you know the big talking point right now is the last dance documentary for good reason oh, yeah. uh, great content um you know it's something i look forward to every week now every sunday i, I wake up excited because it's something new to watch um and i think they've done a great job with it and one of the big debates understandably that's coming out of it is um you know were these bulls at their peak as good or better than the warriors at their peak now i don't think there's any debate that the bulls dynasty was a better dynasty at least so far compared to the warriors because they won six titles the warriors only won three but um i think it's an interesting exercise to try to look at at their peak, which dynasty was better? And to do that, I think we need to break it down by category. So I agree with you. And before you give categories, you mind if I ask you a, an upfront question? Because I thought of you, literally you, when they first announced the 10-part series on Jordan and then when they ultimately brought it out. And the reason I thought of you was, I, you know, this is all conjecture, but I felt like Jordan finally allowed the league to use his image, right? Because he's one of the only dudes in history who actually controls when the media can use his image. And Jordan has allowed it now, and I thought he did that because we're at the precipice where people are finally actually questioning whether or not he's the GOAT. And there's this argument now with LeBron, and I figured that Jordan looked out, realized there's all these really, really well-educated NBA fans who didn't get to watch him live, and he wanted to show them who he was so that when they're having this debate, they would know at least something about Jordan. And one of those really educated NBA fans, man, is you, right? Just by virtue of age, you didn't grow up watching this guy. So now watching The Last Dance, seeing Jordan, has this added anything to your understanding of his greatness and the whole LBJ versus Jordan debate or not really? It definitely has. It definitely has. Um and I, I definitely think with LeBron, there was a huge recency bias there. Um, and a lot of people doing these conversations and leading these debates are people who didn't get to, to watch Michael Jordan in his prime. And just watching the footage, you know, seeing everything that went into it, 
uh, you can't help but just be amazed by his greatness. And it definitely changes your perception of, of, uh, of where he kind of ranked in the, in the pantheon. Um, I, I, love I, am, you for that. I was a guy who before this said LeBron was the greatest player of all time. I'm not ready to, to make a full, you know, fully changed course quite yet, but I will say I'm leaning towards in maybe, due time. Maybe Michael Jordan is. In um, due time, I love you for admitting that, and then we'll get to your analytical categories. But on on, uh, on our pod, on the Warriors Huddle, we've just been having screaming fights with uh, the Jordan versus LeBron thing. And it's good to hear somebody who's at least acknowledging that Jordan may be coming up. But I digress, man. Back to you, because I love yeah, the, and you know, one comparing thing, these teams. I was, I was talking to a couple of the Warriors the last dance and you know these guys a lot of these guys are in their early 20s um they were being born you know at the end of that bulls run and so they've expressed to me like how exciting and fun it is for them watching this and and truly appreciating mj's greatness because for them you know kobe was really their mj yeah but actually see the real footage of the mj uh, it, 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 it makes them appreciate him in a different way. So I think that's really the great gift of all this. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, brilliant on Michael's part to to wait this long and to have a drop, you know, for it to, I'm sure he planned the pandemic, you know, for it to drop. You know, is that competitive? That. Here's another, this is just a random aside about The Last Dance, but I now demand that ESPN does a 10-part documentary about that blonde, jerry-curled security guard who was playing the uh, quarters game against Jordan in, uh, in the sixth part of the documentary. I just – oh, me too. Michael Wozniak. I've looked him up. I, I cannot get enough from him. I can tell People you that he entered – People have written about him. Uh, I believe he passed recently, unfortunately. He entered Jordan's life because he hit him with a car. I mean, like, I, I'm telling you, yeah. man, I, I am I am obsessed with this dude. And, I'm you know, let's not limit it to ten parts. Let's start with a ten-part Wozniak documentary and then explore if there's further stuff we need to know. Right. Um so the categories that we're going to break this down are coach, starting front court, starting back court, and bench. Now, there were a couple different iterations of teams that we could go with, but I decided to go with the 95-96 Bulls. Um, yep. And the reason for that is that that's the team that won the most games, 72, and then obviously won the finals that year. So sure. I think that was when MJ was truly in the heart of his prime and Scotty and all those guys. I'm going to go with 95-96. And then I'm going to, for the Warriors, I know it would be easy to go with the 73 win season, but let's not forget Kevin Durant was not on that team. So I don't and they didn't win was, a title? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that that was – and they also didn't win a title. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that that is uh, the greatest example. I'm going to go with the 2016-17 Warriors. That was when uh, Durant was in his first season with the Warriors and everything was new, fresh, and exciting. You know, as we all know, they they dominated the playoffs that year with 16 and one. And Kerr has gone on record and said that he thinks that was the best Warriors team. So, if Kerr believes it, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with him. I'm on board. I I agree with it too. Um, I mean the all you have to do is look at the 16 and one record. It probably could have been 16 and zero. I always thought they just gave the Cavs one game as kind of a gentleman's concession. So I agree with you. They're the best team. Yeah, and they had 67 wins, and they could have easily had more. A lot of a lot of those losses were early on when they were kind of getting a, a rhythm with with Katie and everything. So, yep. um, so let's just get right into it. Uh, the first category, coach. So we're looking at yep. Bill Jackson versus Steve Kerr. Okay, who would you give the nod between those two? 
Let's see. Let me first say that I think both coaches were perfectly suited for their teams, you know, and they share a similarity. Um, in fact, I think we're learning a lot about how Kerr has learned how to handle Draymond by watching what Phil did with Rodman, you know, and the, the similarities look to be is that both or both coaches rather go out of their way, spend crazy amount of time learning about their players, and then they go and they deal with each individual player. They're not the kind of coach who just comes up with team rules and they apply to everybody. They have an individualistic approach. And I thought a distinction quickly, and then I'll answer your question, I promise. But Jackson figures out somebody else, figures out their personality, and then uses his own hobbies to communicate with them. You know, we see with Rodman, he came and talked to him about, like, Native American art and, like, uh, yoga and meditating, all things that Phil does. Where Kerr looks like he also learns all about his players and then uses what the players are interested in to, to associate with them. As far as who's actually a better coach, I'm going to say it's a push, man. And I, I know that that's I'm, – I'm basically copping out. But I think yeah, – That it, is a cop out. And I, I forgot to preface before we did this that yeah, there late. are no pushes. Too late. No, too there late, buddy. No I, I've already stepped to the table and put my money down. You there are no pushes, the rules man. now. You, gotta you pick can't one. change the rules now. And, and I also think we should make it a two-on-two because it's Phil Jackson and Tex Winters, Right. Right. Um, and then it's uh, Steve Kerr and, and yeah, exactly right. Mike Brown. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really don't like being pushed on this. If I had to, I would say Kerr, but I think to use your term, it's a recency bias. Um, having watched him deal with all the random personalities that led to their dynasty and then folding Durant in seamlessly in that 16, 17 year in a locker room filled with uh, – with bullish personalities. In fact, look at how hard it was to get Kukoc to merge with the Bulls, right? We, we saw almost immediately that Pippen and Jordan hated him because of Krause's approach. We never saw Phil Jackson ultimately smooth that out. There's no indications in 16-17 that the locker room went crazy. I'm going with, uh, with Steve Kerr. And I hate you for forcing me into an answer. Okay. Um, you know, I think you make good points there. But I'm going to go with Phil Jackson, and uh, it's nothing against Steve. I think Steve is phenomenal at what he does. But you have to understand that when Steve took over the Warriors, he had never coached at any level ever before. And I think he was phenomenally well-suited given his diverse background as a GM and an analyst and, and all these different things to step in and, and have a pretty smooth transition as as an NBA head coach. But Phil Jackson – had a lot of experience before he took over the Bulls. He had coached down in Puerto Rico, which last dance remark reminded me of. He was an assistant uh, on, for the for the Bulls for several years before he took over as the, as the head coach. And you know, he, even though Tex Winter was really the guy who designed the triangle offense, he was the first head coach to popularize it. And you have to understand that Steve Kerr, every single day in his job as the Warriors head coach, is drawing upon things he learned from Phil Jackson every single day. Um, it's been interesting watching The Last Dance and seeing how Phil Jackson handled that locker room, handled certain situations, and thinking that is exactly how Steve would have handled that situation. Like, because Steve learned from Phil that you need to be easygoing, that you need to be amenable, that you need to, you know, coach players differently. 
And when Phil let Dennis Rodman go to Las Vegas for that trip mid-season, a lot of people would look at that and be like, how could a coach let a player do that? That's absurd. But I could totally see Steve doing that exact same thing in that exact same situation because Steve understands that to get the best out of a guy come May, June, you need to give him a leash, especially if they've proven themselves at a high level like Dennis has. So um, it, it's a tough one because I think, you know, Steve is so influenced by Phil, but because Phil was the original um, and because he had more experience, uh, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Phil the nod there. I, I also feel like Phil was probably a better in-game tactician than Steve. I think Steve's big strength is his ability to handle the locker room. I think Phil obviously great at that, but probably a little bit better in, in-game situations. You have, and I know we got to get to the next one, but a quick retort: one, the fact that Steve Kerr learned something from Phil Jackson doesn't mean that Steve didn't do it better. It just means that's the source of the information. I'm sure Jordan, for example, learned things from players all along the way, probably learned stuff from North Carolina, probably learned stuff from people in high school. But as I'm sure you and I will agree, he's way better than the people who he learned those things from. Second, and this brings me back to why I think it's a push, really, really, with these rosters, it wasn't about play calling. You know, it was about talent management, and it was about taking personalities and making sure that they all meshed. I genuinely believe both of these guys are the apex of that skill set. They're just unbelievably good at it. They both are. We're comparing two silverbacks, which is why I thought it should be a push. And you're the one who forced me to give you an answer. But uh, the reason I forced you to give you an answer, forced you to give me an answer, is because if you, as we continue to get on this list here, <laughs> everything could be a push because all these guys are operating at such a high level. Uh, we need to we need to make some commitments here, but no, I think we no both promises. Good points there. Um, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to criticize anyone for for taking Phil or or Kerr in that in that argument. They're both operating at a super high level, and I think we'll go down as two of the probably top ten coaches in NBA history. We'll have more of my conversation with Bram Hillsman right after the break. Starting front court. Now, just to remind us all, uh, the starting front court for that 95-96 Bulls team was Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and Luke Longley. And the starting front court for that 2016-2017 Warriors team was Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Zaza Pachulia. So, what are you thinking here? Uh, obviously, there's among these six names, there's four Hall of Famers. Um, so both elite front courts in their own right. Who do you give the nod to? I go front court for uh, for the Warriors. Um, it, recently, the focus on Kevin Durant has not been on his unbelievable skill set. You know, and and I am remarkably guilty of that. I'm still all pissy that he isn't here, and we're looking at his attitude and all his off the court stuff. But this question doesn't ask what his attitude was. It's looking at who he was on the floor, and I I know who Pippen is. I know who Rodman was. Um, but I think just the singular talent of Durant, I and mean, we're talking you know, top five player perhaps of all time, um, it puts them over the edge. And that's before we get to the intelligence and you know, everything else that someone like Draymond Green brings to the floor. So I am going Warriors front court uh, advantage here. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with some bulls. And it really comes down to that center position for me. 
Uh, We've got a theme emerging here. I love it. (laughs) Luke Longley was a really solid, bona fide, legitimate starting center in the NBA. My um, God, you're starting with Luke Longley on this? Yes, You've got yes. Pippen and Rodman and, and the Australian who you're coming out with? You can make the argument that Rodman and Pippen versus Durant and Draymond kind of cancel each other out. So where, what's the difference here? And I think the difference is the center position. Luke Longley was, you know, I don't think he was a stud by any means, but he was a really good role guy. He averaged, you know, solid nine and five. Uh, along with two assists per game and 1.4 blocks in, in 26.5 minutes. Salazar Pachulia, you know, he, he, he was a good screen setter. He was he was tough. You know, he was kind of the enforcer, good passer, but not as skilled as Luke Longley. Um, and also was a, toward the end of his career at that time. So got to give Luke Longley the nod over, over Zaza, even though I love Zaza. Um, and then when, if we're going to talk about – Pippen and Rodman versus Durant and Draymond, that's tough, right? But Durant is probably going to go down on the all-time list above Scottie Pippen, but I do think this last dance documentary has reminded us all how truly great Scottie Pippen was in his own right. Um, He probably was a a legitimate top 20, top 30 player in NBA history in his own right, largely because he was so good defensively. He was much better defensively than Kevin Durant ever has been. But you've already uh, given me Durant over Pippen, which only leaves Rodman over Draymond, and I, or Draymond. There's no way you think that Rodman is a better overall player than Draymond is. You know, that's actually a really tough argument. No, no, it's, it's one tough, skill. It's, tough debate, it's just rebounding. I actually, I actually would say that Dennis Rodman is a better player than Draymond Curry. You're cr- at what? At like cribbage or something? Why? You're not talking about Dennis basketball. Rodman was the best in NBA history at something. He was the best rebounder in NBA oh, history. If it was no a rebounding contest, you'd be better. right. If, that if this... season, 95-96, he averaged 15 rebounds per game. No, I understand. I, I will concede rebounding. rebounding. I will concede now, rebounding. There's no question at all, but the bad game of basketball is not limited to just rebounding. No, completely, completely, completely. And in every other category, Draymond better. was a more well-rounded player. Okay, that is true. But I do think that Dennis Rodman was probably a bit better defensively overall as well, even though Draymond was a defensive player of the year. You're crazy. Two You're crazy. Defensive player of the yeah. year. What the hell are you and talking I, about? Rodman couldn't guard the point guard position. He couldn't guard every – Draymond literally guards one, two, five. Then. You didn't have to guard multiple positions like you do now. But, but we're yeah, comparing these two areas. We're comparing these two areas. Well, that's not fair. That if, if you took Draymond and put him in Rodman's era, he could do all of Rodman's defensive assignments. If you took Rodman and put him in Draymond's era, suddenly you're making excuses like, hey, wait a minute, he shouldn't have to do this because he didn't before. I, I, don't, I think focusing on Luke Longley as opposed to these other two people is the tail wagging the dog. <laughs> Look, I think you can make the argument that Rodman and Green are a push. I think that Pippen is slightly worse than Kevin Durant. And I think the difference between uh, Longley and Trulia and the difference between Pippen and Durant is much greater. So that's we why should be I'm drinking here. beers. I'm we should be drinking beers and flight ads and starting front court. And I want a little credit for bringing some some fu to this argument. I mean, I, I feel you know we started this super like just happy. Like now, I feel like we're actually arguing yeah, you're, far, you're, which is you what I want. Not agree with me right now. That's that is okay. <laughs> It'd be hella boring. We were just in here agreeing, man. But uh, all right, um, give us give us our next topic. Uh, starting backward. So. Okay. The starting backcourt for the Bulls was 
Ron Harper and Michael Jordan versus Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Um, that I, I, that to me is an intriguing debate uh, for for several reasons. What, you 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 remember this Bulls team probably better than I do. Obviously, I, I watched them. When this team was I literally watched them. I, I watched them play the Warriors. Can you the remind Warriors... our listeners out there how good Ron Harper was? Because I think people forget. Uh, remarkably athletic, solid guard. The perfect complement to Jordan um, on any other team. In fact, before he joined the Bulls, Harper was one hell of a player. Um, a cable of scoring twenty minutes, twenty three points per game for the yeah. for the Cavs two different years. Yeah, there you go. And so there's and, and in fact, and, and I remember in one of the first couple episodes in the Last Dance, um, they're talking about Jordan's game winning shot against Cleveland. And they have a real quick uh, quote from Harper because Harper was on that Cleveland team. And he was saying how pissed off he was that he didn't get to guard Jordan on that play. And they put up Mark Elo and got destroyed. But to answer your question, Harper was a killer. And he did exactly what that team needed. Once they brought him on and gave him really reduced responsibility, here's what we need from you, he did those things as well as anybody could have. And I'll tell you what, I don't have an immediate answer to this. So, I mean, I am, if, if you haven't picked it up yet, I am an over-the-top, unabashedly uh, pro-Warriors fan. Um, and I, I go way further than I need to go. So the easy answer here would be, of course, it's the Splash Brothers, greatest shooting backcourt of all time. But I'm also a child of the 80s, man. Jordan was a superhero to me. You know, he wasn't a basketball player. He was more powerful than, than Superman. So this is not an easy thing, man. If I can, let me go second. What's your take on this? Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting conversation because, to me, you can make the argument that Clay Thompson and Steph Curry are the, the best starting backcourt in NBA history. Yeah. They're the, the two best shooters of all time. But Michael Jordan is probably the greatest player of all time, and so you got to take that into account, right? Michael Jordan's better than both Steph and Clay. Yep. And Ron Harper is, you know, at, in his prime was an all-star player, but not Steph or, or, or Clay. So, you know, honestly, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean toward the Warriors on this, and it's it's hard to to pick anyone over Michael Jordan, but it's just the combined greatness of of, of Steph and Clay and how how well they played together, how they perfectly complemented each other. I mean, they're the two greatest shooters of all time. I think they're both top 50, you know, Clay is probably a top 50 player of all time. Ron Harper, as good of a player as he was, is not close to that echelon. So I have to give the Warriors the nod there. I like that. I'm going to follow your lead and I'm going to give myself an excuse for it. Let's assume for the purposes of this conversation, at least for, uh, for this in particular distinction, that we're playing with today's NBA. Right, And so outside shooting, spacing, movement is more important than anything else on the offensive side of the ball. If that's true, then, of course, it's the Splash Brothers. You know, I mean, Harper, Jordan, unbelievable, but their skill set was designed to succeed in their era. And so if we're doing it now, and it's kind of cheating, but that's never stopped me before, I'll go Splash Brothers. Okay. Yeah, and it feels like sacrilege to put anyone over MJ, but this is a this is a – you know, a team sport and backcourts require two people. 
So, Let me give you a, a, a backwards-looking question. I know we're running short on time, but I really want your, your opinion on it because um, I'm going to steal you, and I'm going to have you on, on our show soon, and I'll give you a, a telegraph of one of the questions I was going to ask you. If So let me give you three players and assume those three players play their entire career with the Splash Brothers. Which of these three players win the most titles? Dennis Rodman, Charles Barkley, Draymond Green. Charles Barkley. I think Charles Barkley was the best player of those three. Who's second? You know it's Draymond. Come on. I think it's Dennis Rodman. All right, fair enough. Um, And so the bench, now we're on to the bench. Um, So we all know that Steve Kerr was on that Bulls bench, and he was probably the second best player coming off that bench behind Tony Kukoc for that Bulls team. Uh, People forget, but Steve Kerr is one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. Um, and so the kind of the, the top names to mention from the from that Bulls bench are Tony Kukoc, Steve Kerr, Bill Whittington, and Dickie Simpkins. So some names that I didn't even know who Dickie Simpkins was, but you know he got meaningful minutes on that Bulls team. Um, he may and, have been a former Warrior. Somebody looked that up. I think that after his stint with the Bulls, he may have spent like a half a season or something somewhere in Golden State. I he probably was because your your memory of that is just savant like. He actually was a former Warrior. Uh, Boom. He played one season with the Warriors after his stint with the Bulls, and then went back to the Bulls for two years. Yeah, we had a couple people like that, like Jason Cassie and Corey Blunt. I remember Corey Blunt uh, just because I liked his last name so much. It made me smile every time. I'm impressed that you knew that. Um, but uh, and then the Warriors bench: Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, David West, and then you know, kind of take your pick of the rest of the guys: Javale McKee, Ian Clark, Patrick McDaw. Um So, just hearing those names, where where do you lean? If you had asked me this before I watched the highlights of Ku Coach and the last thing of the last uh, dance, I would have told you the Warriors. Um, but now that I've been reminded of, ho- of who Tony was, and even more specifically, that Tony shows up and gets his ass torched in the 92 Olympics by Jordan and Pippen in the first game they play, and then they see each other again after he's been eviscerated, um, and instead of laying down, he has this huge showing. It reminded me of just how good who coach was and what kind of a scorer he was. <sighs> On the other side of that, I mean, Andre, Andre- – Right, right. Andre is the quintessential linchpin, and, and the reason – I mean, what, what makes it kind of difficult is that really Andre wasn't a bench guy. I mean, if we consider the death lineup as right. what should have been you know, their, their main approach, that allows me to cheat, and I would say, I would say Kukoc-led uh, Bulls bench. But if we're including Andre um, as a member of the bench, and I guess we have to since he was the sixth man, and given who David West was both mentally and physically – and because I've picked the Warriors on every other thing here, I'll stick with the Warriors, Connor. I'm going Warriors, Ben. Okay. Uh, I feel, I'm, I'm noticing a theme here. Between us. <laughs> um, I, I, this is a tough one for me, but the, the reality is that that Warriors bench wasn't that great. Um, it just wasn't. That, that season, that season it, was, it was very underwhelming at times for a, a large – majority of the season obviously they had Sean Livingston who was a very helpful piece and Andre Iguodala but after that it really falls off for me 
and I think the depth of that Bulls bench, they, they got they got helpful contributions throughout that entire roster at different at different periods. And I think Steve Kerr is one of the greatest shooters of all time and obviously was known to hit clutch shots. Tony Kukoc, I think, as we kind of discussed, is very underrated. I think he, if he had had his whole career stateside, could have been, you know, a multi-time all-star, um, you know, could have been, you know, considered one of the, the greatest European-born players in NBA history. Um, I think he was that kind of talent. He was so good in in Europe for for so long before he came over. Um, and then, you know, some of these other guys, guys that we might not even remember right now, but they, they were helpful at times. You know, guys like Randy Brown, Bill Winnington had his moments. Um, John Sally was a good player in the league. So I forgot he was um, on that team. That's right. Jason Coffey, Jack Haley, um, James Edwards. Uh, so I'm going to give the slight nod to the Bulls bench. A, which is which is hard, but I really feel like outside of Andre and, and, and Sean, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of you know there wasn't a lot to that bench for the Warriors. I mean, you look at the interesting thing about the Warriors is you look at their helpful bench pieces that have gone on to play elsewhere. None of them have done anything. Right. Ian Clark not in the league anymore. Patrick McCaw hasn't really done anything in Toronto. Uh, you know, Brandon Rush, Mo Spates, uh, Lander Barbosa. All those guys were out of the league within a year or two after leaving the Warriors, and I think it speaks more to the Warriors' system than their actual abilities. So that's another reason why I'm going to go with the Bulls. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I can't. I mean, now that I've established this theme where I'm going Warriors across the board, I can't switch it up. But let's just say you made some compelling points. Okay, so uh, <laughs> let's. Let, I'm worried that this is going to end up being even an even score here, um, in, in which case we would need a tiebreaker, but I'm going to, I'm going to add up. So you, so just to recap for our listeners, for, for coach Bram went for, I went Jackson. For starting front court, I, I went Bulls, Bram went Warriors. Starting back court, I went Warriors, Bram went Warriors. Start, uh, bench, I went Bulls, Bram went Warriors. So just to recap here, Bramlett Warriors on every <laughs> single Yeah, but to category. be fair, I gave you I gave you actual answers. It's not like I was just like Golden State and then stops. I mean there was some justification. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I'm making the Kool-Aid before I drink it. So I deserve a little credit there. Yeah, and but because you went Warriors every single category and I went <laughs> I went Bulls every go. category but one <laughs> we're gonna have to give it to the Warriors by one point. What if they play? Give it to me, like Leo. Let's they, let's say they actually take the floor. Who do you think wins that game? Seven game series in the finals. Who wins that series? Um, I mean, that's why we're doing this. That's why this is hard, right? Uh, I honestly think it would be the Bulls, and I think uh, it's partly because of the synergy they had built. You know, that was the first year with Durant in the fold and there were still even though they went 16-1 in the playoffs there there was still you know a figuring out process and um the weird thing about that those those Durant Warriors teams was I, I felt like they never fully realized their potential because their first, their best year was their first year which isn't a good sign you know you, yep. your first year should be 
some, a figuring out period and then you build on it. But then the, the apathy set in, the, the internal strife and, and turmoil set in, and they just never really were able to experience their peak. And I think their peak had the potential to be, you know, the best peak in NBA history, modern NBA history. But the the Bulls actually reached their peak. So I would go with the Bulls. I'm going to shock you. I agree. I think if they play seven games, I think the Bulls win in six. Here's why. Um, I, I, so the, the cop-out, easy answer is, when are they playing, right? What eras and, and what are the rules going to be? And the reason I think the Bulls walk away from it is because the Bulls could have won in either era. It would have been tougher for them now because their outside shooting hadn't necessarily been completely and fully developed. Pippen wasn't a great three-point shooter, but that's only because they didn't ask him to be. But they had, you know, Jordan could shoot the three. Kerr could shoot the three. Kukoc could shoot the three. There's a chance they could steal one in this era, right? And let, let's do it like that, you know? Like if, if we're doing home court advantage, it would just if they played at the Bulls' place, it would be the Bulls' era. At the Warriors' place, it would be the Warriors' era. So I think the Bulls could steal one in the Warriors' era. I don't think the opposite is true. I think that if the refs were allowing the kind of physicality that was allowed in the mid-90s, this Warriors team would not be well-suited for it. Outside of Zaza Pachulia, we don't have, or David West as well, they didn't have a whole lot of bruisers. And so I think they get swept in the Bulls era, and it leads to a, uh, to a 4-2 unfortunate outcome in favor of Chicago. I really hope Draymond doesn't listen to this. He's going to hate us. I keep forgetting that. You know what, Draymond, I, I was just a joke. I was completely but, joking. But I, but I, I also think – what I think this also reinforces is that even though the Warriors earned one more point than the Bulls, I mean, we still ended up overall choosing the Bulls. And I think it's because you can't really break this stuff down by specific categories because they're weighted differently. I mean, yeah. you can't quantify the greatness that is Michael Jordan. Um, you can't quantify his – unreal ability to put his team on his back and lead them to victory when they needed him to. I'm not sure that anyone on this Warriors team was like that. Um, You know, Durant had his moments. Steph, that's probably one of the biggest knocks on him, as great as he is. He he hasn't shown that clutch team the way someone like Michael Jordan has. Um, So that that to me is the biggest X factor here that, that, that probably gives the, the Bulls the nod. As great as Steph Curry is, I think Steph is going to go down as probably definitely a top 10 player of all time, maybe a top five player of all time. Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. I got the, let's bring it back to where we started. My boy, Michael Wozniak, the, uh, the blonde security guard. The reason I say that is that was a nothing five-second scene. There, there are – playing for their, I think, third straight championship, Jordan is in the Bulls. That is, you know, they're playing a useless quarters game in, uh, with zero stakes. And when Michael Wozniak beats Jordan, they get a shot of Jordan looking like he would like to murder that guy. Like he had yeah. just lost a game seven of the finals. There was no distinction for Jordan. If you were competing, he needed to win. Doesn't yeah. matter if it was in quarters or the NBA finals. That kind of psychosis. That probably made him a tough person, you know. Like if I had to go grab a drink with somebody, I'm not sure Jordan would be at the top of my list. But it makes him one hell of a competitor, man. So yeah, I, I think you're right. Always fun, Bram. Certainly true this time. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, and hopefully we can uh, 
you know, hopefully you can get out, you get out to Alameda and go on another one of those walks. You know, believe it or not, listeners, we're actually friends beyond the podcast. So I want to see your face. 100%. I am in. The pleasure was mine. And on the off chance that anybody wants to hear any more of my terrible takes, Warriors Huddle, we got a podcast too. Connor, stay safe and healthy, big man. Let's, uh, let's hang soon. Our thanks to Bram Hilsman for joining me on the podcast. It's always great picking his brain. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 